This episode of On Comedy Writing is brought to you by Showtime on Amazon. I've heard of HBO on Amazon, but Showtime on Amazon? This is an episode of uh, Connie Bang Bang, that'd be the ad. But yes, there is now Showtime on Amazon. Showtime includes instant streaming of unlimited access to addictive dramas, hilarious comedies, movies, and so much more. You start with a seven-day free trial, and after that, it's just eight ninety-nine a month, which I assume is a good price. Because, like I said in the HBO ad, my parents do pay for cable, and I use my Apple TV to watch all my favorite shows. But Showtime has some of the best. Shameless, right? The Chai, which just came out, which I heard is uh, is good. The Smilf, which I heard is actually excellent. I heard Smilf is very good. Homeland. Ray Donovan, uh, a Boston boy gone to Hollywood. Bill Simmons. Ever heard of it, Bill Simmons? Uh, but most importantly, Billions, baby. Paul Giamatti and Damian Lewis play Money Boys. Bobby Billions versus the Giamatti. Right? I think in this season they're going to fuck. I, I truly do. The boys from Billions, they're going to they're gonna kiss each other in season three. So, uh, that's right. <laughs> that's right. The boys in Billions are going to fuck. With Showtime on Amazon, you can get your free seven-day trial by going to BoardWalkAudio.com slash Showtime. That's BoardWalkAudio.com slash Showtime. This is a BoardWalk Audio podcast. On comedy writing, on comedy writing. Thanks for downloading this episode of On Comedy Writing, the podcast about the business and craft of writing comedy. I'm your host, Alan Johnson. We've got a great episode, but first, the best way to support this show is by going to boardlockaudio.com slash oncomedywriting. Click the support our artist button and shop on Amazon like you normally would, and we get a little kickback. This episode was recorded in Los Angeles uh, last week at my buddy Will Dwyer's place, who's gracious enough to let me use his equipment and his apartment. Uh, Will has a great podcast of his own called Casting Session, you should definitely check out. I was going to be a guest, but then uh, we had some scheduling difficulties because I guess I was, yeah, I was only there for four days. Felt like longer, but I guess it was just four days. So there wasn't really time. Uh, anyway, check out Casting Session. It's a really funny podcast, and I uh, recommend it. Our guest this week is Noah Garfinkel. He's written on shows like New Girl, Kroll Show, The President Show, and Workaholics. Really interesting guy. It's worth listening to this episode for the Magic Johnson story he has at the end alone. We recorded this last week, and I've thought about it every day since. If you like this episode, check out our other episodes with Mitra Juhari and Emmy Blotnick from The President's Show. So here is Noah Garfinkel. Noah, thanks for coming to the show. Hey, hey thank you for having me. Uh, where are you from originally? Uh, Houston, Texas. <laughs> uh, what was that like growing up there? Uh, it was very hot. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I actually grew up in a suburb called Sugarland, and then moved into actual Houston. Okay, cool. Yeah, and it was you know nice and you know some gun murders here and there, but besides yeah. that, pretty chill. <laughs> uh, were you into comedy at a young age? Yeah, yeah. What kind of stuff were you like watching? Uh, I was watching like in middle school is when I really got into it, and Seinfeld was on at the time. And also when you're like 11 years old and you see Monty Python for the first time, it blows your mind. And it was like on a loop on Comedy Central. Right. Like in 1996. Comedy Central had like the best reruns for a while. Yeah, it was, it used to be so, it was like reruns of Dream On, which I didn't really understand. Dream On? It was an HBO show starring Brian Binbin that then they showed. Brian Binbin? Yeah. 
And then they showed reruns on Comedy Central all the time. But it was an HBO show that had to have all like the sex stuff edited oh, right. out. So when I was a child, I did think that sex was basically you just like go to someone's apartment and then there's making out and then you just <laughs> fall on a bed and then someone rolls off the other person and you're done. Very informative. Yeah, which isn't that far off, yeah. I guess. <laughs> I remember the Conan reruns. Where I remember watching this all the time. They had Conan reruns on at six like six p.m. They had like the last night's Conan on. Oh yeah, they start. I guess they started doing that in like two thousand three or something. Something like, like around yeah, that time. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and then that's like, when they still had Saturday Night Live, old Saturday Night Lives on. Yeah, and then Mad TVs and now nothing. I think right. Do they have? I almost never watch Comedy Central anymore. Yeah, I don't know. I don't have. Yeah, I don't have cable anymore. So. Oh, it's very exciting. You should. It, there's. Yeah. There's good things on cable. There's a lot of channels. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Were you doing, like, any comedy stuff during as that a, time? As a kid, no. Yeah. Were you, like, doing any, like, creative creative stuff? Uh, not particularly. No? I was not a, uh, a talented child in any way. Yeah. There was, like, a performing arts, arts high school in Houston where, like, a lot of my best friends ended up going, and I did not go because I did not have a talent. <laughs> okay. So what were you... When you were applying to colleges, what were you thinking? Uh, I was thinking that I would want to go into comedy writing and do mm-hmm. stand-up yeah yeah so uh where'd you go to college emerson okay so in uh boston yeah so you you that's like the comedy that's like the comedy school yeah basically <laughs> and i had i don't know why i thought to do it even like at 17 but i knew i wanted to do stand-up but didn't want to do it in new york it seemed like too much pressure so yeah like boston seemed like a it's a good adjacent place to yeah. start yeah what was uh, Emerson like? Um, it was basically TV college. Uh, what, is it, what do you mean? T- oh, for TV writing? Uh, kind, it was just everyone there. Like, so many of my best friends from that time are now just doing all the same stuff. Yeah? Yeah. Who'd you, who'd you go to college with? Uh, Joe Mandy, Harris Whittles, uh, Mookie Blakelock, Dave Horwitz, Armin Weitzman. That's a lot of just like, it was literally UCB people too. Yeah. Wow. So were you doing? Uh, so you just started doing stand up like immediately when you got there. Yeah. What was it, what was that like? Uh, it was terrifying. It was at this place called the Comedy Studio. Okay. It was in Harvard Square. That was in the attic of a Chinese restaurant, which <laughs> nice. they just I think two weeks ago had their last show at that place and moved locations. I don't know. Where oh wow. To. Uh, were you? Uh, did you find you were, you were good? Uh, like, like good, like for a first timer and stuff. I think I was good for a nineteen-year-old in a blazer. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what kind of stuff would you would you do stand up on? A lot of stuff about raisins and how I don't like them. Really? Yeah. Nice. <laughs> Did you? Uh, what were your classes like? Uh, the classes were you know regular college classes. <clears throat> some more interesting than others. What was your major? Uh, writing literature and publishing. Okay, cool. And now they do have a specifically TV writing major at Emerson. I think I saw like on Split Side or something, they have like a comedy major even. Yeah. That's, we did not have that at the time, but basically it's very interesting. That's what we were all doing. Like there was there were so many comedy troops there and then yeah. my friends and I were uh thought too highly of ourselves to join another comedy troupe, so we made our own. Oh really? Yeah. How how was there like a lot of rivalry between the the troops? Not really. Like no. everyone was friends. Yeah. Yeah. No one cared. <laughs> uh, so you, you gra- So did you do the um, the Emerson in L.A. program? I did. 
Oh, really? Yeah, when they uh, would still put you up at the Oakwoods. Um, oh, I, in, co- in college, I did a uh, an L.A. program, and mm-hmm. I was also in the Oakwoods. The Oakwoods are so bizarre. Very strange. I was in the Oakwoods in Marina Del Rey. Oh, okay. I was in the ones in uh, Toluca Lake. Okay, those are probably better Oakwoods, better location. I don't know. I, I haven't been to the other Oakwood. Yeah. Yeah, that is... Uh, I'm glad it was on Love on the, the Netflix yeah. show. That was fun. That at, was fun bit. at the time I was there, Dewey from Malcolm in the Middle was also living at the Oakwoods. Oh wow, it's a and real he... child star uh, center. Yeah, of, uh, the world. Yeah, it's really expensive too. It's too expensive. I would imagine. Yeah, it was somehow factored into. Yeah, was, that's somehow. why. Yeah, because yeah. that's too expensive too. But oh, for sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I still owe them money. <laughs> So, uh, what was that semester like in LA? Were you doing any comedy stuff then? I was doing stand up out here, and we did like sketch shows. That like there was a midnight show, I think, on Friday night at UCB that was basically an open mic for sketch that we would all do. Oh, cool! What was that like? Uh, we took it very seriously. Yeah, uh, and it was fun, and we all fought so much. Like, because we somehow took it so... When I think back to what that was, it was insane. Was it with your, like, uh, comedy troupe that you guys had formed? Yeah. It was like, we were all best friends. We knew each other too well. Uh, It was lunacy. It was fun, (laughs) but it was weirdly emotional and uh, and involved. Did you you guys do any UCB stuff in New York? Uh, I moved to New York right after that, and they... I. Let's see. I'm trying to remember who moved when. Basically, everyone stayed here. Then I moved to New York. Then another person from that comedy troupe also moved to New York, but kind of stopped doing comedy. Okay. And then I was in New York, and Joe Mandy and I hosted a stand-up show for a long time there. What made you decide to move to New York when all your friends were here? It just seemed like a... I didn't really like doing stand-up in L.A. Okay. It seemed like New York was the cooler place to do it, and I was correct. Yeah, but then eventually, after like five years in New York, you're like, "Oh, everyone in LA has a job, and no one in New York has a <laughs> uh, a job." Well, why do you say that in New York? It's cooler to do stand up in New York. There's more places to do it. Yeah, there's way fewer um, stand ups who you're like, "Oh, you just are a uh, hot guy who's going to be in commercials." But right now, we're just both doing this stand up show. That is a strange thing. Yeah, I didn't think about that because there are a lot of people like that in LA. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, that's weird. Huh. Why did they get into stand-up, of all things? Uh, I think UCB is probably more likely now a thing. Yeah, I think... Yeah, I think more people go the improv route than stand-up route now. I don't know the numbers on that. I'm just making that up. (laughs) Uh, So, yeah, you're doing that that stand-up show in uh, New York, totally JK? Yeah. Why'd you call it uh, JK? Um... I don't remember. We thought it was dumb, <laughs> and then we called it that, and then we were just sort of stuck with it. And then every week we would pretend that JK stood for a different celebrity with JK initials, yeah, like JK Simmons or JK Rowling or uh, that's that seems like that's it, right? <laughs> uh, no, there were, we had a different one every week. We really started to stretch it thin. We got down to like 18th century rabbis. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I can't remember the uh, some of the other ones. What was that uh, that show like? I mean, did, did you like guys know like when you're when you moved to New York, you and like Joe were like we're gonna do a stand up show together. Uh, well, he he moved there before I did. Yeah. He didn't do the LA program, and he was a year above me, so mm-hmm. he uh, moved to New York right after college and kind of knew the stand up scene before I even got there. So I was just like writing his 
uh, coattails into the stand-up world. Yeah. What was that show like? It was fun. We would always do video stuff. Uh, I obsessively watch cable news, and so does he. And we had this... It was very complicated to do at the time. We had this external machine of some sort that we could hook up to a cable box and then hook that up to his computer okay. to capture video from the cable oh, wow. box. Uh, so we would show silly uh, things from the news. Not like The Daily Show, but like people making dumb faces. Yeah, yeah. That's fun. Uh and you did the show at Rafifi, right? Yeah. That, what was Rafifi like? Could you always hear Rafifi about it? was awesome. It was disgusting, and it was fantastic. <laughs> yeah, because you always hear, like, it was, like, all these comedians doing this these shows. Yeah. There was a show called Invite Them Up that was hosted by Eugene Merman and Bobby Tisdale that was, like, the, it was the best stand-up show I've ever done. Maybe, I don't know, on a par with, I guess, what Meltdown was here for a while, yeah. where it was just always a good show everyone was there to have a good time and it was cheap yeah and it was fun and then joe and i also did a show there gabe Leadman and uh jenny slade also did a show there john mulaney and nick kroll had a show it was uh i was there like four times a week it was wow and everyone was so drunk all the time yeah, we're, I, I think I read somewhere, someone told me, I maybe mean, like Sam Brown, you know, uh, yeah. Yeah, I think he still told me that like uh, uh, drinks were free. Drinks were free for any uh, person who had a show there or performed regularly, but you could drink there for free any day. Right. And they would, if you ordered like a uh, vodka and orange juice like you do when you get out of college and you're drinking, yeah, they would give you a pint glass of it. Wow. And it was... Uh, yeah, it was bananas and eventually the place closed down and you're like, yeah, because half of your, (laughs) half of your business is giving free drinks to (laughs) people who run shows that get 30 people here. There's no, there's no way this is working out. Uh, how long, uh, did you guys do that show there? Uh, we did it at Rafifi for maybe a year before Rafifi shut down and then we did it at a place called Sound Fix. And Williamsburg, where Gabe and Jenny also did their show, um, Big Terrific. And then eventually Sound Fix closed, and then Joe and I started doing the show at UCB Monthly. And was that, like, uh, most of your like, UCB connection, or did you do more stuff at UCB? Uh, we kept doing more stuff. So- I liked doing a show at UCB. It was yeah. fun. But it was strange to be there a lot, but be outside of the improv world. Right. So you never thought about doing improv? No. I yeah. Don't- once I like kind of wanted to do it, it felt too late. Yeah, <laughs> like there's already people who are good at it. Why am I gonna try to do this? Did you ever do you sketch at UCB? Uh, not after like the immediate time right after college in Los yeah. Angeles. So when you uh, so you're in New York, what made you decide to go back to? Did you go back to LA immediately? Or were you in New York for no, a while? No, I was in New York for like six years. Okay, so what were you doing there? Um, I was. At first, I was working in the uh, basement of the Museum of Modern Art in their bookstore stock room. <laughs> nice. And my job was moving boxes full of books. So the worst part of moving, but as a job and every day. <laughs> yeah. And Good then, museum, though. Solid museum. Yeah. I don't really care about art. <laughs> uh, and then based on – there was a 
MTV executive who used to come to Totally JK, and he eventually hired Joe and I to uh, work on the show called Silent Library. Oh, I think I've seen that, yeah. So we, like, were writing, writing, I'm doing air quotes, people people yeah. can't see them. <laughs> writing for Silent Library was, like, my first writing job. Well, what was, uh, what, what was, what did you have to write for? Oh, uh, you would be, like, you would write the stunts they would do. Are you yeah. familiar with the show at all? Uh, vaguely, but you, sh- uh, yeah, just maybe it's, say a little bit. They... It's based on this Japanese game show, what, and the premise is it's contestants in a library who are all on the same team, but they have to – the rule is you can't make noise. Right. And then they'll all flip over a card, and one of them has, like, some kind of mild torture done to them, and no one's allowed to laugh or react. <laughs> so, like, there's one – in the Japanese one, there's this one machine that's just – a kind of dowel sticking up from a motor that rotates and there's a leather strap <laughs> swinging from it Jeez. that just like slaps you lightly in the face a bunch of wow times. that's like, like that's like a legit torture but it's not like hard like it's, yeah it's still that's like but right. it's just like funny to watch yeah and then there's there was one called bad smell air they all had weird <laughs> translations into english where it was just kind of a mask that was hooked up to a box that had like right. dead fish and stuff <laughs> in it so then we had to write things like that yeah did you have a lot of those kind of uh, weird writing gigs starting out? Yeah. Especially, I feel like in New York, there's a lot more of those. And there, Yeah, there used to be a whole ton. Like, MTV and VH1 often had shows you could write on for, right. like, you know, a couple of weeks or something. Mm-hmm. And then I eventually wrote on the show called It's On with Alexa Chung. Oh, yeah, okay. Which, I think when I was hired, the concept was still that it was going to be a, like, late night show. And then by the time it was on air, it was on at 12 in the afternoon during the summer. And it was, like... 12 p.m.? Yeah. Oh, why? In the middle of the day. Like, (laughs) four teens and Alexa Chung would, like, have to interview, like, Disney stars. But there were four writers and none of us knew who any of these people were. (laughs) That we were, like, trying to write bits for whatever would happen. I remember... I didn't know who Justin Bieber was because yeah. he was a, basically an infant at the time. And he was on the show. I had never looked him up. And one day there was just like a boy in the control room. And I was like, oh, someone brought their son to work. <laughs> <laughs> and, just... and now it's like, oh, I remember when that was a a kid who I had no idea who he was. It's just Bieber messing around the control room. <laughs> yeah, he was just, he didn't know where to go. <laughs> uh, wow. So was that, that was in New York? Yeah. So, uh, did you, were you, did you keep getting those jobs and then decide to go to LA or are you still in New York? No, then there was a lot of, there's a real rough patch of like internet writing where it was all freelance stuff, which is a very difficult way to try to make money. And then I worked on an MTV pilot that didn't get picked up, but, uh, I got along with the executive producer, so then he hired me for his next thing, which was a show called Upload with Shaquille O'Neal, which was America's Funniest Home Videos, but with Shaquille O'Neal. Oh, that's awesome. So I came to L.A. to write for that for eight weeks. That turned into 13 weeks, and then I got hired on a job by the same executive producer right after that, still in L.A., and then I was like, oh, I guess I live here now. Yeah. So you you seem to have like a lot of uh, crazy jobs, crazy even writing jobs yeah. and stuff. Do you think that do you think that made you a better writer or was this kind of just no. like no? <laughs> I mean it helped. It got me to where I needed to yeah. be. Yeah. You're not like learning a lot writing that's crazy for sure right, right. to say after a video airs. 
but but those connections helped you keep getting jobs. Yeah. And so it was better than, say, just like working at the, the Museum of Modern Art. Oh, certainly. Yeah, but yeah, the yeah. Museum of Modern Art was also, they were very flexible. Like, I could kind of switch my schedule around really easily. Yeah. Uh, they were supportive when suddenly I was like, oh, yeah, I'm quitting on Monday to start <laughs> working on a Japanese game show yeah. for MTV. <laughs> so uh, how long did you work on that Shaquille O'Neal show? That was just like 13 weeks. Yeah. Yeah. And so after that, you're you're in L.A. now. And then I worked on this show called The Ben Show that the Ben pre- Show yeah that premiered along with Nathan for You and the it was fun to work on but the thing I remember most about it is people being like oh you work on the Ben Show I love Nathan for You oh really like, that's correct <laughs> Nathan for You is very good Ben the Ben Show is good I remember watching that when it came out yeah it was a fun show uh, how did you get hired for that it was the same executive producer as oh, okay. O'Neill uh, clip show wow that's kind of a, a step up for the executive producer yeah so then that was my first comedy central show yeah and that was exciting where it was like oh i'm on like a staff yeah was that um diff so working on your first like real show was that like a big uh difference from all the other stuff you've done uh yeah it was like writing real sketches and was that kind of a was that like a big jump for you or were you you ready for it um no it was a big jump i was excited i was ready for it sean o'connor also worked on that show uh we kept pushing this thing, uh, our idea for a sketch called uh, Bill Maher, the science car. <laughs> <laughs> and we shot it, and it was so bad we never aired it. Really? That sounds good. I like that. I agree that it sounds good. Bill Maher, the science car. That's really, I really <laughs> like that. I hate Bill Maher. Yeah. That guy sucks. Uh, but what was, um, what was like the writer's room like for that? Uh, it was small, but it was mm-hmm. fun. Ben was, uh, you know, always in the room. As Mike Gibbons was the executive producer mm-hmm. that brought me onto that, and um, there's a guy named Craig Anstead and a guy named uh, Doug Perkins. Doug directs a lot of stuff, mm-hmm. and it was just really fun and yeah, chill. What's uh, the favorite thing you wrote that got that you did on that show? My favorite thing from that show wasn't anything i wrote specifically it was just like written in the room mm-hmm. uh and it was it looks like it's an ad for uh getting injured while texting and driving yeah but it devolves into it's like showing the text conversation and it's just a like three minute text conversation back and forth being read out loud by a guy in a wheelchair <laughs> all about how he's going to a party where he Quote, wants to be the mayor of Titty City. <laughs> and then at the end, it's just he didn't make it to the party because his phone died. And it's just a commercial for another cell phone company. And then he stands up from the wheelchair and walks away. I like that. That's funny. So, uh, so when, you, when the show gets canceled, like, what, what's that like? Uh, it's kind of it's sad. Yeah. Like, I kind of thought that show would come back. And then it's a bummer. Uh, also because you're like, oh, I was making money on that show and now I'm not making money. Yeah. And it made, in retrospect, I'm like, all right, yeah, sure. Cancel. Yeah. (laughs) You got Nathan for you. You, (laughs) you pick the one that was going to be a, like, cultural phenomenon. Yeah, there's room for both. (laughs) Apparently there was none. Yeah. Uh, so after that, uh, what'd you do? Then... Uh, I think the next, yeah, the next thing I worked on was Workaholics. Mm-hmm. And that was really short. That was like 10 weeks. Yeah. They never kept like staff writers on for that long. Uh, so, what, was, what was that show like? 
That was really great. It was uh, the first time I'd worked on a scripted thing where you get to write a, a whole script, and that was awesome. Yeah, so that's another jump from like just doing sketches to yeah. that. Was that uh, the same thing? That was like you learned a ton there. Yeah. That was, I think, the biggest jump. Yeah? Yeah. Uh, how so? It was just so – it felt – it was the first time I felt like I had a real – tv writing job yeah i was like oh this is what i wanted to do when i was a kid was like write a script even though the i mean even the best script you write is basically gonna have at most like a third of what you wrote right the time it's on air which is of course what happens as it should Mm -hmm. but it's still it's exciting to see you know written by on the screen yeah it's cool uh what was it like entering like an existing room uh it wasn't that's never bothered me that much. It's always a little nerve-wracking, but mm-hmm. generally everyone in a writer's room wants you to be good. Right. Nice. Yeah. Uh is workaholics like the tone the show the toe show that you like to do? Um that was really I think the tone that I most liked working on was a Kroll show. Yeah. Cuz it was just bananas. Yeah. Uh and it could kind of be anything. And also, it was very low pressure, because it was like, we're going to write this, and then Nick's going to do whatever he's going to do, and it's going to be funny. Yeah. And it'll work out. Do you do you like writing uh, more sketch or more narrative? Uh, more narrative. Was that always the case, or has that kind of been changing over time? No, that was always the case. I yeah. always like sketch, too, but I like to be able to write a whole thing. Before you were um, working in narrative, were you writing a lot of pilots and stuff? No, I only ever, I wrote one spec, mm-hmm. and then, but that never got me hired on anything. Was your spec of, like, an existing show? Yeah, I had actually written a New Girl spec. Oh. Uh, which I can't even, I'll never bring myself to go back and read. Right, because, yeah, it's totally different for you now. Yeah. And then the script that got me hired on all the scripted shows I ended up working on was a pilot I wrote called Horny Ghosts. Nice. That, um... <laughs> It's bonkers. It's no... I didn't know at the time that you had to make characters different. Okay. It's basically four characters that are the same character. Yeah. <laughs> just making jokes the whole time. It's very unclear why it's called Horny Ghost until like page 20. <laughs> uh, it's There's so many references in it, but it was just a thing I thought was funny. It was not structured well. Yeah. But I think I accidentally... Because of an experience, just wrote a thing that kind of represented what I thought was good and that was helpful. Because then people could read it and be like, oh, well, we know what he thinks is funny and that's either going to work for this show or it won't. Right. And it's kind of like, I know some people say, like, don't um, write something kind of crazy. Uh, oh, I would, I would, I wrote. Yeah. He goes insane. Wait, you're saying people will say don't write something that's kind of crazy? Yeah, I've heard that. Huh. Well, I've, I... I mean, also, this could just be a thing that happened to work out. For it you. probably it's works... not a good idea. It probably works both ways. I I would say you might as well write something you just think is really yeah. funny instead of trying to temper what you think is funny before you even get to the place where you're that's interesting. to temper what you yeah. think is fun. Like, you have to... Uh, adjust yourself to whatever you're working on anyway so it's weird to i feel like it's strange to start at the position of already doing you know something that's only 60 percent what you think is funny yeah it's interesting because i know 
um, a lot of times you're writing stuff and you're like, this sucks. <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's, and it's like, yeah, why would you try to put, why would you already put yourself at a disadvantage like that? Yeah, why would you send something out in the world where you're like, this is good for what it is? <clears throat> like, you don't have to write for what it is until you're right. hired on something. Right. Uh, so then after Workaholics, you went to Kroll. Yes. Uh, how'd you get hired for that? Was that off of Horny Guests? <laughs> uh, that was, I knew Kroll from New York. Yeah. And John Levenstein, who ran that show, uh, kind of knew me through Joe because Joe had worked on it the season before. And I had come in and done a couple of bit parts where I'm not like a good actor or anything. They <laughs> just had me and done stuff because why not? Yeah. I was around. So I knew him. And then I think he did read Horny Ghost and then we had a meeting and then I worked on that show. What was what was that like, that uh, show? That was so fun. It was yeah. the... Uh, it, it's, I think, the most fun show I've ever worked on just because it was so low pressure. Everyone was good. And... Um, it was a kind of environment where we would sometimes all go outside and get high. Yeah. And I remember one day I was just like, I think I'm too high and I got to go home. <laughs> and wow. The team was like, yeah, all right, just work at home. <laughs> <laughs> uh, was How involved was like Kroll in like the writing? Oh, he was involved. Yeah. yeah he's He was there, I would say, most of the time. Yeah. Was he like... Was he, was, did he? Did he lead the room more than John or did they both kind of co-lead the room? They would both yeah. have... yeah. I would say John was more in charge in terms of management. Yeah. Like who was doing what and just day to day, but it was certainly, you know, Nick's show. And that was kind of a room where you probably knew like most of the people in it. Yeah. I already knew Joe. Uh, then Joe Wengert also worked on that show and I had kind of vaguely known him from stand up. Mm-hmm. Sarah Tapps got wrote on it. I had met her the year before when I was kind of doing a couple of things with the show she was a writer's assistant the year before oh, okay and uh I'm trying to think neil casey was there i knew him from ucb mm-hmm. <laughs> excuse me and, I, and christine Nangle, i met there i had never met her before but then i worked with her on the president show mm-hmm. well more accurately i worked for her on the president yeah. show. uh was that kind of helpful to be like in a room where it was all, either you knew people or like they were all pretty much ucb people yeah, you can, even when you don't know people, you're like, we all get who we... We're all friends of friends here. No yeah. one's a complete outsider, which I also think is part of the reason it's tough to for comedy rooms to naturally um, diversify because it's right. such a self-perpetuating... Like, there really does have to be a conscious effort or it'll be the same, you know... 12 UCB dudes yeah. in hooded sweatshirts writing on the same shows forever. Yeah, which is which is bad yeah. uh, for a lot of reasons. Yes. Yeah. You get the same the same comedy and the same Yeah, yeah. You, get, you get the same kind of voices. Yeah. And it's just, you know, it sucks for other people. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It does. Uh what was your process for like coming up with sketches on that show? Uh, by the time I got there, I was only there for the third season. Mm-hmm. So we kind of knew all the characters already. And it was, I mean, I love how that show was set up. It really was like a trilogy where all of these storylines by the end of the second season were already, you know, insane and in outer space. And it was just yeah. trying to figure out a way to bring them back to an ending. Yeah. So it wasn't, the roadmap of what we were doing kind of wasn't that unclear. So you would, uh, did you ever try to pitch like something else that wasn't like in the show already? Yeah, we, our first few weeks there, we were still pitching stuff like that, but I don't think we, 
I don't think we had any new main characters. Yeah. I don't. I'd have to rewatch it. I don't recall. Which uh, which characters did you like writing for the most? Nash Ricky was really yeah. fun. <laughs> uh, the Oh Hello guys. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but again, on that show, it was like you're writing a script, but you know it's more of an outline because mm-hmm. everyone's gonna anything Jason Manzukis is in, you know, right. he's gonna like they're gonna do their own thing, and it's gonna be funnier than what you like wrote. Down. Right? Yeah. What, so, uh, what's your process for writing sketch like outside of Coral when you were doing sketch before? Um, like at the, I guess the only other place I really wrote it for TV was the Ben Show, and that was, mm-hmm. was or even or even for stage and stuff. In college, I mean, the last time I really did it before the Ben Show was college. Yeah, and it was just yeah. We would either write stuff alone or a couple of us together, mm-hmm. or sometimes all of us together. Mm-hmm. And I can't really remember how that worked. Like I don't yeah. quite remember our editing process. I don't think there was that much rewriting going on. Mm-hmm. We were our confidence was very oversized for <laughs> yeah. what we were doing. We were like, this is at the time we were certain everything was great. Would you ever want to go back to sketch? I would do it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I prefer, I think, working on a staff for a sitcom, but I don't dislike sketch. Yeah. Uh, so what makes, like, a cruel show... What are, like, the hallmarks of a good cruel show sketch? Uh... I think it's a when he's doing a character that you feel bad for, yeah, <laughs> uh, and they're pathetic, and you kind of want something good to happen to them. Like I, I remember watching the second season to prepare for writing for the third season, and the way the second season ends with niece Denise and Cesar, <laughs> like made me. Like a little teary eyed. Yeah. I it blew my mind that a sketch show could make you somehow actively cheer for a character. Yeah. That's like something that like good sitcoms struggle to do. Right, yeah. That's pretty incredible. Yeah. It's a lot you know, it's obviously a lot of cruel. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And the, Jenny's so good and yeah. Nick's so good. Yeah. So after Cruel, you worked on New Girl. Yeah. Uh and it was did you get hired off of uh the Horny Ghost spec? Yeah. Uh, so what was that like? That was, it was great. It's, I mean, it's the most I've ever learned anywhere. Oh it's, yeah. I mean, it behind high school and college. It's the longest I've ever been in, you know, the same place mm-hmm. at, for one block of time. Mm-hmm. And it just ended in December, and it's yeah, it's strange. Uh, so what, what did you learn? Just ha- well, things like. Characters should have different points of view. Yeah, very basic writing stuff that I probably could have learned from a book or something, but I didn't. Uh, And the way that show works is we re-break stories all the time. So for every thing that ended up on TV, there were like you know three or four other versions of it that we pitched, and it was like boot camp for learning how to write in a four act structure Mm. for TV. Yeah. And that was your first uh, network job. Yeah. So how was that different from uh, the cable stuff you've done? It's, you're in a way more narrow area of what you can do. Yeah. Especially on Fox where you can't even really mention brand names without putting up really? a fight for it. Yeah. Ah. So like I remember one time there was a joke where someone just mentioned a Ferrari and we got pushed back on saying Ferrari. Like, we had to wow. go a few emails back and forth before they're like, okay, you can say Ferrari. And it's wow. like, no one isn't going to buy the Ford you're advertising because we said Ferrari on <laughs> yeah. TV. 
So you mentioned four act structure. How would you like describe that? Uh, I think the way some shows do it, which is if I ran a show, I think I would do it this way. is just break it as in a three act structure and then just figure out a break kind of thing. Okay. I think yeah. Stories don't, it's weird to try to write a story that has a beginning, two middles yeah. and an end. And it kind of necessarily makes you overwrite because you're trying to have a big thing happening in every act. Mm-hmm. So we would often have like kind of longish scripts that it was hard to, to cut down. But it just just learning things like how to end an act and what kind of thing usually happens in mm-hmm. each act, which I think is maybe not broadly applicable, but even just learning it for that show, you know, makes you think of stories in a different right. way. Right. And uh, you've been on the show for a few seasons now. Yeah, this was my fourth season. Fourth season. So how how has the show like changed during that time? I think. W- Kind of in the third season before I got there, it started kind of a shift from a very romantic comedy relationship-driven show to sort of a joke machine with plot, Mm -hmm. where we were still trying to do emotional storylines, but it was... I remember there was some article about sitcoms that had the most jokes per minute, and I think New Girl was like two yeah or something we there's just so many jokes in a script and i really enjoy that and then season four i think it became even more that where it was it got much sillier Mm -hmm. the characters got a little dumber and i think a helpful way for jokes are you like in the room are you one of the more joke people yeah there yeah in the world of story people and joke people in that room i was certainly more of a joke person how do you um break story like on a show like that uh it, on that show because it was a very large staff we would break up into many smaller rooms oh, like okay, sometimes like four rooms of yeah. like three or four people and so it'd be like you know three or four people and a writer's assistant and a whiteboard mm-hmm. and you just come up with an idea and see if you can figure out four different beats to it and then you pitch that to one of the showrunners, and then if they like it, you kind of come up with how it would work for the full episode, like, in more detail. Then eventually you come up with a B story the same way, and then once you, you write a pitch page, it goes to the network, and then they have their notes on that. Then you keep going until you uh, basically write out what every scene would be, and then go... One person, whoever's going to write the show, goes off and writes an outline, and then you come back, get notes on the outline, and then mm-hmm. go and do the first draft, and then you rewrite it for so long. Yeah? Yeah. How how long? Uh, I've had ones that, if we're ahead of schedule and you get it in early, you mm-hmm. can be rewriting for a really long time. There can be like four weeks. Wow. That might be, certainly three. I think I've done four weeks before of rewriting. And what are like? And are these like? Are you making like massive changes in this? Sometimes, yeah, yeah. Sometimes you're like, we're doing a different B story now. Oh wow, yeah, it's yeah. huge. Yeah. So how do you deal with that? Like, um, I guess that time pressure sensitivity with that stuff. It's you go a little batty. Like when you're working mm-hmm. on the same exact episode for yeah. that long, you kind of lose a sense of what's funny in it, what yeah. you liked about it. Uh, 
So you have to get past that, and you also have to get really used to the idea of not getting attached to things mm-hmm. and just accepting that there might be something you love in there that just isn't going to happen, and you can maybe push back once or twice, and then it's over. And as you've become um, more senior in the room, uh, have you found that like, your responsibilities changing? Uh, not particularly at New Girl, just because the, the people who would kind of run the rooms were always, you know, above you. I, I kind of felt like I had a very similar role the whole time. I mean, I felt like I had more say by the end, but uh, I wasn't – there were so many people who were so experienced and so good who right. had been there for so long. There was, there was no reason that I would have to, like, lead a room or something yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. And what are, like, uh, the hallmarks of a good New Girl episode? Uh, I think – if you can build to like kind of one thing that matters for the series, like if you get lucky enough to have a moment that you've been building to. Oh, right. Yeah. That's fun. And then to have a B story that is complete nonsense. Yeah. I've noticed that new girl does like the pretty insane B stories. Yeah. And then like a short little runner. That's also insane. Yeah. I, if we can, have just a funny idea that is the thing for the B story without mm-hmm. um, hanging too much other stuff on it, mm-hmm. I think, is when it's the best. And runners, too. There's not enough runners in TV. Should, uh, Every episode should have a runner, I think. You gotta watch Life in Pieces. It should be called All Runners. Oh, really? Well, it's just like, I mean, not really. It's like just individual short vignettes. Oh, that's right, because that's, yeah. that's, how, that's how the show works. But yeah, runners are, it's like, it's such an easy thing to do. Yeah. And they they really pay off so well. I feel like it's yeah, and you really only have to have four four scenes. Yeah, like you, they don't have to be emotional. Yeah, uh, like in New Girl, the best. Be- it's one of the my favorite. It was before I was there. Season two, the "Got You Cookie, Gave Me Cookie" episode. I don't know if you're. Oh yeah, it. it's the B story is just Schmidt bought Nick a cookie, and mm-hmm. Nick is weird. He's like, "Why did you buy me a cookie?" Yeah, and yeah. Schmidt says, "Because he was thinking about him." It weirds Nick out. Uh, Schmidt gets mad that Nick can't accept the cookie. And then at the end, Nick realizes that he just, he feels like he hasn't earned Schmidt's love. Right. It's so stupid. And he ends up getting emotional about a cookie. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. (laughs) And he ends up, yeah, getting so flustered. He yells, because he buys him a cookie in return and gets emotional and shouts, Mm -hmm. got you cookie, gave me cookie. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, what, what was it like writing on this final season? Uh, this was... It was strange because it was a shortened season. It was only eight episodes. Mm -hmm. And we also moved. We didn't shoot at Fox anymore. We shot at this place called Occidental Studios. Oh, like uh, in Occidental? Yeah. Yeah. Well, not. I just said, yeah. I was like anticipating that my answer would be, yeah, before you finish your question. No, not (laughs) Occidental. Uh, It's in technically Echo Park, maybe considered Little armenia oh okay um, yeah, yeah it's like just south of the 101 i'm like south of temple mm-hmm. and like benton okay cool uh which was walkable from my apartment so nice. that was nice <laughs> so it was just a different location our staff was like cut in half uh so we went from like 19 writers to eight wow and uh so it was just very different it, like, yeah and this was i think the most it was the most efficient season just because we didn't have to do 22 episodes. It was easy to be like, here's what we're doing. Mm-hmm. The nights were not that late. Mm-hmm. Uh, in fact, I think I only ate dinner at work like two or three times. Which wow. was very strange. Yeah. 
What was was there like um, a lot paid to like emotional stuff throughout the season? Yeah, we're wrapping a lot of stuff up. Yeah, and with I mean I don't want to give anything away. Yeah, yeah, you're dealing with you know it all is going to come down to Nick and Jess. So yeah, there yeah. was some work to do there. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, do you feel oh, so? Has they, have they filmed it yet? Or are they just, just yeah, we're done. Oh wow. Yeah. What's that like? Just being done with that show? It's weird. Yeah. It's. It's very strange to just not have it in my life anymore. Yeah, that's yeah. pretty crazy. Yeah. Uh, so when you were uh, on break from that show, you were writing for the President Show. Yes. Uh, how'd you get that job? Christine Nangle, who worked on Kroll Show, was the head writer at the time. She's now mm-hmm. co-running it. <coughs> Excuse me. And she knew uh, that I was obsessed with cable news. Also, it's produced by Three Arts, which is my management company. Mm. So they just knew i would work for that yeah yeah like there i wouldn't need any catching up on the news of the day because i'm unhealthily obsessed with it yeah <laughs> uh and i knew some of the people going in like i knew anthony from new york mm-hmm. so it was an easy fit yeah and you came um halfway through the first season right or did you come, yeah i yeah. got there for like episode eight i think was yeah. the first episode and i was there for like maybe 10 yeah and then i had to go back to new girl before they finished out their season. Oh, so you're there for only like three episodes? No, I was there for like eight or nine. Oh, eight or nine. Yeah. Ups- okay, sorry, yeah. So I was there for about maybe a little over a third, maybe not quite yeah. a third. Yeah, yeah. Well, what was um? Well, yeah, what was that like writing for? That yeah. was it. Was so fun. It was such a good staff. Uh, and Anthony's so great, and um, Pete Gross, who was co-running it at the time with Jason Ross, they're both so good and so efficient. Uh, I didn't get to work there when Christine was co-running it, but I heard she was fantastic at it. Yeah. And it was just, it was, the only problem was you really are living in Trump world. And it it started to get to me, I think, towards the end. It yeah. Was, I was weirdly unsettled, like living in a stranger's apartment. I was subletting yeah. in Clinton Hill, and it was far away. And I was just in cable news land. Because I probably time. worked, the president show's probably in, like, what, in Hell's Kitchen? Yeah. It's for Gal, yeah. Yeah, so it was a... And when I lived in New York in my 20s, I was like, Clinton Hill's close and nice. It is nice, but it is not close. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, And then, as you mentioned, like, Trump is this guy who's constantly breaking news every day. Yeah. And it's, like, sometimes absurd and, like, weird. So, like, how do you tackle that as a comedy writer if you're, like, tackling something that's already an absurd, weird place? Yeah, and it's... And sometimes the things he does begs, like, a kind of single joke so hard that it will already be done by the time we're right. going to be on TV. So it's like you can't you're not going to do the obvious thing. It was and it there was a real learning curve to figure out how to write for that show cuz at first you're just writing jokes that are you're like, "Oh, I'm writing jokes for him, so I'm making like weird sexist jokes, but now but I'm the one writing them." Like I'm right. I'm writing this shitty thing to say. Right. It's almost like you do like uh irony to that but then it kind of doesn't work maybe i don't know yeah and then eventually i don't know i there was a there was a moment at which i kind of stopped trying to think of it that way and more like just write how think of something funny and then how he would say that as opposed to being like what shitty thing would this awful disaster person say because if you if you're thinking about that all day you're going going to write things that are like mean-spirited yeah and uh shitty and when when you're writing for like this impression 
I know, like, famously, like, the people say, like, the Will Ferrell impression of Bush, like, mm-hmm. helped them. Do you worry about that kind of, like, representation? No, because I think there is something interesting that Anthony's doing where I think he does make Trump sort of more relatable, but not in a way that makes you, like, root for him. Right, yeah. It's just exciting to see someone do the logical, emotional extension of what Trump is doing. Like, in that monologue he did in the pilot about the truck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, where you're like, yeah, what what is the end game of Trump loving big trucks? And right. it's, yeah, that he wants to drive it into the river and drown yeah. so he can finally be alone. That book that's coming out seems insane. Yeah, it came out this morning. Yeah, that's right. They, they pushed it up. Yeah. Yeah, that, that excerpt. I, yeah. I mean, I don't... I don't know if it's all true. Yeah, I find it probably not all true. Yeah, uh, but I'm still very interested in it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and when you're doing a show about Trump, I mean, there's so much low hanging fruit. Yeah. Do you do you just have to like maybe even write it out and then not show anybody and then go move on, or do you have to like? Um, it was we would kind of there was a lot of direction given to us. Like it mm-hmm. wasn't I didn't feel pressure when I was there to kind of like really figure out like what we were gonna do. Right. Like right. Christine was figuring that out with like Anthony and and Jason and Pete. So it was more like here's what we're doing, and write this for this right and i kind of it wasn't how i was used to writing after new girl where everything is in a room with three other people right suddenly at the president show it's just like oh i'm at my computer yeah just writing and it was really fun to be able to do that and you'd write and then come back to meetings and pitch the pitch the jokes yeah or you just send them in they'd read them you'd have a meeting about the thing um then after the pitches, if you were pitching on monologue for that week, then you'd go into a room with a few people and mm-hmm. kind of write the monologue using some of the jokes that were pitched and some stuff you're coming up with in the room. It was it was like a it was very efficient and fun. Mm-hmm. And when you were uh, you were doing this job, did you know that you were going to return the new girl afterwards? Yeah. Did you ever try to do like another thing where you were working in between the shows? Um. I wrote a pilot for TBS over a hiatus one time. Okay. That's the only other thing I've really yeah. worked on. Oh, and then there's a show called No Activity on CBS All Access, which I don't know if anyone has. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. That Funny or Die it's show. So I was only there for like two weeks because yeah. a guy who used to direct a bunch of new girls and was a producer on new girls, new, <laughs> new multiple new, new girls girl yeah. <laughs> episodes. I uh, ran that. He had created it in Australia. He's Australian and then uh, brought okay. it here. So I worked on that a little bit, but didn't have much. Yeah. That much to do with it. Uh, So like back to the present show, what do you think like the role of satire is right now for that? For uh, Trump? It's, it's weird now. Cause yeah. what's happening is already so ludicrous. Like it's full on insane. And I, it's difficult to take a to do a spin on something that's already right. bananas. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> it's hard to say what what to do. You're like, well, okay, what would be the thing you do? He um, can't concentrate. He doesn't know anyone's name. And then yeah. he, like this book comes out this morning. It's like, yeah, he leaves meetings, uh, yeah. orders his diet coke, and doesn't know his old friends yeah. anymore. Eats cheeseburgers in his bed. That's yeah. so funny. Gets mad at the White House chef for not being able to recreate a Big Mac. Yeah. God, that's so weird. Uh, so what would you just be doing next? Uh, I have no idea what's next. Yeah. Is, it's also weird 
the new girl is over for that reason. It's been so long since I just haven't known what I'll do next. Yeah. So I, I don't know. It seems like right now it's relaxing to not do anything. In about mm-hmm. three weeks, I'll start to panic. Yeah. And then we'll figure it out. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Uh, all right. So we're going to end this by uh, you giving your thoughts on a sketch idea I have. Okay. Uh, okay. So this would be a parody of uh, like basketball instruction video. Okay. I'm not that familiar with the genre. Yeah, yeah the famous genre of basketball instruction <laughs> video. Basically, it's just a, you know, uh, and the instructor keeps on saying, like, always look before you pass, and whatever you do, don't get AIDS like Magic Johnson. And then, <laughs> okay. like, a good move is Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's Skyhook. A bad move is getting AIDS like Magic Johnson. Okay. And so then, yeah, he just keeps hitting, hitting that. Uh, I think you need other things besides AIDS with Magic yeah, Johnson. Yeah, I, I was trying to think of something else. I think once you've hit that, you know what the the, the game is. Yeah. And that once you've come back to it twice, everyone's you'll know what the thing is. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's enough misconduct in sports where I think right. you could. Uh, yeah. Latrell Sprewell, he didn't murder a man. He just strangled they the coach? strangled the coach. <laughs> okay. And, like, someone else might have murdered a man, yeah. I'm sure, I'm sure someone in the NBA <laughs> has murdered a man. <laughs> yeah. So you think it's better to go with more misconduct, misconduct than maybe even delving into why he's saying this about Magic Johnson? Yeah. Or, oh, well, if it gets into the psychology of why he's so worried about Magic Johnson, yeah. maybe that's a thing. Yeah, okay, interesting. Uh, this is a side story unrelated to your thing yeah. that I'll tell quickly. I have a razor-sharp memory of in sixth grade in a creative writing class, the, my friend Jeff writing a story about a coach named Sp- uh, sorry, a referee named Spike in the NBA. Spike. Who is the one who has to tell Magic Johnson to retire after Magic Johnson shatters a, a backboard. And I remember it because even at the time, it was like, this is bananas, man. And Wait, so wait. Did he have to retire because he shattered the the, the backboards because of the glass and like the yeah it's like the, you shattered the like this is too dangerous man <laughs> oh my god <laughs> it's fucked up and then a few years ago I was just thinking about it and I uh, sent Jeff an email and I was like man do you remember this and he was like no I don't think I ever wrote that it must have been someone else but I'm like positive it's him but you can't like argue with someone you haven't seen in fourteen years and be yeah. like no you wrote a weird AIDS thing about Magic Johnson man. <laughs> A referee named Spike, too. That's funny, too. That's crazy. In six, how many years was that, like, after Magic Johnson was done? It was, I think, when he was, like, back. It was, oh. this was 1997, maybe six. Oh, I forgot he came back. That's right. Yeah. yeah. I think that's what inspired <laughs> Oh, my God. You gotta go, Magic. That's so funny. <laughs> Sorry, man. And that is like, you're right, Spike. <laughs> Um. All right. Cool. Anything you want to plug? Um. Just a short story about Magic Johnson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> My friend Jeff. Uh, Check it out if you can. Uh, New Girls. What coming back in May? May. Yeah, watch, kinda... watch New Girl. In... Do you know something different? Oh no. I just that seems uh, weird. I don't know. I won't argue that it's not weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh. Cool. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of On Comedy Writing. I want to thank Nick Doss for supplying the sweet tunes, Zachary Glassman for giving us the awesome logo, and Boardwalk Audio for hosting us. Please rate, review, and subscribe on iTunes, and like and follow On Comedy Writing on Facebook and Twitter. See you next week!
has been a Boardwalk Audio podcast. For more information and shows, visit BoardwalkAudio.com. Don't forget to rate and subscribe now.